Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. Well, we have our website up, bobehrlich.com. After years of discussion. Incredibly important one-stop shop. Please go on to see Western Journal articles, of course, our podcast here, and uh, all things Bob Ehrlich. And all things Ehrlich. That's right. So this week we have a lot of excitement because we have a personal friend of ours, uh, Congressman, I'm not even going to get into all his titles, but Tom McMillan is a legend in Maryland, a really a legend around the NCAA. He's a personal friend of the Ehrlichs. Uh, the resume is insane. High school, American, University of Maryland. I grew up, uh, he's considerably older than me, not really. Not, <laughs> no, not, that's not, not, not true. true. That's not true, Tom. Uh, <laughs> the University of Maryland, All-American during the glory days of Lefty Drizelle. Uh, Rhodes Scholar, NBA veteran, Knicks, Bullets, and Hawks. I actually saw you play, Tom, uh, for the Bullets, now the Wizards. Member of Congress of Maryland's 4th District, President's Council on Physical Fitness, Chairman, Acknowledged Expert on College Athletics, and uh, President CEO of Lead One Association, which is the D1 Division One Athletic Directors. There's no one better situated to talk about college sports, the finances of college sports, the challenges of college athletics today than our friend Tom McMillan. And recent decisions. So that it's very uh, topical. Very much so. Very much so. Supreme Court and the NCAA are in the news. Tom, welcome. Good to be with you, Bob and Kendall. And uh, great to reconnect after a crazy year. Crazy year. We had dinner. We had dinner with you right prior to the pandemic, in fact. I know. You, you may have been the last human being we had dinner with. <laughs> That's the truth. Prior to everything else. So Tom and I have been friends for many, many years. We've done a lot of events together. And uh, he is in the middle of it right now, folks, because the issue of dollars and cents, uh, common sense and dollars and cents, is front, really the top priority with regard to college athletics, college athletes, Athletic directors, the whole nine yards. We're going to talk uh, about five issues here. Uh, we'll try to do it quickly, but we could literally have Tom for hours. But we won't. We won't keep him that long. Uh, Tom, in the news recently, Supreme Court decision nine-zero uh, decision, by the way, to allow uh, more tangential income. I guess how you would you, you would phrase it to go to college athletes related to their educational expenses. A small step down that road to more uh, more liberal approach concerning compensation or at least reimbursement for college athletes. Your thoughts on the decision? Well, the decision was rather narrow. It related to educationally related expenses. Uh, The case was brought because some felt that college athletes should be able to get more than the cost of going to school, for instance, books or internships or computers and all those things. And so the court ruled nine to zero. What was, what was, so from the standpoint of the outcome, it was rather narrow, but because of the way the concurring opinion was written and the whole. That was a Kavanaugh opinion. Yeah. It's Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. Is that it, it really, it opens the door. The question is, what if they had considered broader compensation? What would have been the result? Clearly, uh, college sports has lost the narrative that, you know, these kids are just athletes, student athletes, and they shouldn't receive any remuneration. And it's unfortunate because 
back in 1991, when I wrote a book, when I was in Congress called Out of Bounds, I said, this was the point I made. I said, if college sports didn't stop the arms race on the enterprise side, facilities, coaches' salaries, all that, they could fully expect an arms race for student athletes, which is exactly what's happened now. You've got all the lawyers out there, everybody's bidding to try to give student athletes the same rights that management has. And unfortunately, back in 91, we just crossed over the million dollar coach salary. That was the first one, a million dollars back in early nights. Now, you know, we're up 10 million. And yeah. in the last three years, college sports has paid 300 and some million dollars for coaches that have been fired. Well, I'll tell, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. I'm going to hold that because I want to get into this with you. I'm, particularly, you've written a recent article uh, along these lines. And I want to get into Before we get into that, though, I want you to, to address, if you can, on the heels of that Supreme Court decision, the NCA came out with a new opinion with respect to images and compensation for images. And your thoughts on that, because, again, another not small step, I would say incremental step toward paying athletes. Uh, the athletes made the case. Lawyers, a lot of folks, a lot of free market folks around the country made the case. Hey, these schools are cashing in on these images. God knows what you could have made d- during your time. Uh, these highly uh, visible athletes in the major football and basketball conferences particularly, uh, schools cash in. They do. It's hard to argue that they don't. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, basically the NCAA had to say, look, this is too litigious. Throw it to the schools, decide what you want to do with your kids. Just do two things. Remember that you cannot give impermissible benefits or they can't be used for recruiting. Other than that, the schools decide. Because the legal environment is such that whatever the NCAA was going to do, they were going to get sued for. Because everybody looks at it like if you were just a normal student and you were a great singer and tried to sell your publicity rights, you would have no encumbrances. And so that's kind of the comparison. And unfortunately, the net again, college sports lost the narrative on this. Let me just give you an let me give you an example. If you're a kid that goes from high school to the G League in the NBA, no one knows about you. Your your publicity rights would be very hard to monetize. But if you're a kid that goes from high school to the University of Maryland, you become a star. Your publicity rights are enormous. And the fact of the matter is colleges and universities are tremendous branding machines. They take a kid in and they turn him into a, a superstar in many, in many cases. And, and, and what, what's happening is the pendulum has shifted to where the kid says, no, it wasn't because of the school, it's because of me. Because I'm a great athlete, I should monetize my publicity rights. And that's, so what's happened is Unfortunately, I think it's good for the kids to have this right, but I think it's just one more step down this road towards fully paying students. Which leads to my third question. This is really the crux of the interview, why we wanted to have you on the show so badly this week. So you have these two decisions, and you've had this drumbeat for years with regard to compensation. Right. And you've had the lawyers involved, and you've had coaches opine the whole nine yards. So... The issue here is the question is, does the Supreme Court decision and this recent regulatory move by the NCA 
increase or decrease momentum toward paid compensation. Now, you have written a recent article with Britt Kerwin, uh, former chancellor here in Maryland. You point out that uh, coaches in 40 states, 40 states are the highest paid state employees. You also point out that despite all the dollars and the crowds and the stadiums and the publicity, a lot of major basketball, major college uh, football programs, despite the money they make, the athletic departments are in the red. And the programs are in the red. Uh, so it's broken. It's broken. Yeah, how can that be? So your proposal is a partial antitrust exemption. I want you to talk about this. To uh, Yeah, we, we talk about you point out that 25 Power 5 programs uh, uh, only 25 Power 5 programs, in fact, showing a profit when, when you wrote that article. But your proposal is a partial antitrust exemption to control the salaries, a point you raised earlier, and, and then liberalize some of the benefits for the kids along the lines of this decision and this regulatory move by the NCA. Please talk about Tom McMillan's remedy for what ails major college sports. I think you have to look at to, to your question we are inexorably heading towards full employment rights for student athletes that's collective bargaining that's yeah. you know everything that the coach has the student athlete would have and you and i agree and kind of we, we think that's a disaster yeah and and quite frankly the question that you have to ask is that the right model for higher education in our country? I was just going to say that, Tom, to interrupt you. What about education in this? You know, the average person saying, hey, my kid's not an athlete. These kids are getting their education for free. I'm paying, and now and now they want rights to their images and this, that, and the other, and bo collective bargaining. I mean, you know, what is the average? That is going to be such a turnoff to the real college athletic fan. Well, it, it, certainly that is a one of the risks, but I, I think that the idea that we're going to be looking college football and college basketball look like mirror images of the NFL and NBA in ten years. That is the road we're heading on. Yes. And uh, what what I what I tried to relate, I asked our ads, 130 of the biggest ads, biggest programs in the country, what they would like to see, and and the and I said one scenario is pay the athletes in full, give them all the rights. Or the other scenario was, let's stop the arms race. Let's cut back on all these excesses. Let's take that extra money, reinvest in more programs, more sports, not just basketball and football, giving more opportunities for inner city kids and disadvantaged kids. And going back to more of a college model and give these kids their NIL rights, but still try to keep it within the college framework. And 96% of our ADs supported that second model. So the people in higher ed, including all the presidents, don't want to go where we're going. They want to try and find a way to turn the clock back. Now, I'm not saying everybody, because there is a true arms race, and some of these programs make hundreds of millions of dollars. But I'm saying in general, look at it. The NBA, the NFL, they all have controls and costs. The NBA yeah, has yes. a That's a yes. great point, Tom. This is a great point because the free market folks will say pay them. And your point is, and you'll expand on it now. Wait a second. There's salary caps in professional leagues. There's, right. and they, uh, have, they have tremendous controls on, you know, baseball. You have small markets uh, teams and you have big market. They always try to keep some controls 
to allow everybody to stay competitively active. You know. they, they tax their payroll in baseball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And so what college sports needs is some kind of mechanism to get it under control. Let me just give you a point in fact. So the conferences, the college football playoff and the NCAA, they give out $4 billion a year to the schools, most of it to the big schools in our, in our, our, our association. $4 billion. If they wanted to create a, a controls, all they have to use is the power of the purse. They can say, look, you can pay your coach $10 million, but it's going to cost you $50 million in other distributions. And by the way, you get points for the more, the more breadth you have in your programs. Uh, so if you have 30 programs, you should get more benefits than if you have 15 programs. I love that. And, and you need to get this model back to higher ed. So the answer is not to double down and turn the players exactly like the coaches, but it's to pull the whole thing back and try to get it back into a college model. Meanwhile, creating more opportunities. You know, college sports today gives out more scholarships than you know anything but the GIA bill. bill. Mm -hmm. And they need to do more. In other words, take these this tremendous riches called college sports, invest in greater opportunities for kids. Tom, there's an angle to this. You're a Rhodes Scholar. Uh, you know, <laughs> I played in a league in the Ivies where <laughs> academics was first. We lose sight, your, your foundational point here, we, we lose sight, and Kendall's point, we lose sight of the fact that this is supposed to be about education. <laughs> this is college. It is college. And, and, and what we really lose sight of the fact is that, and I'm sympathetic, you're sympathetic to liberalizing some of these benefits and all that, but these kids already get the full ride kids, the yeah. D1 kids, they're getting world-class educations if they want, if the school allows them, if the coaches allow them, it's available, free. It's called a D1 athletic scholarship. That's not tax-free. 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 That's an investment. It's more than a quarter million dollars in many, many cases these days. And nobody talks about that as a benefit. We lose sight of that. Well, I think college sports is partly to blame because, okay, you say it's about education. And, you know, the, the athletic director from Notre Dame was saying, yeah, if you look at these schedules of these athletes during the season, they're gone from class half the time. So if you're really talking about education, change your schedules so that the kids aren't missing half their school and do more things to make it possible for a kid to get an education. Like, um, you know, I, I say that. And on the other hand, I say kids go to school now in the summer. Uh, they have all these tutorial support, but yet th they have to make sure the values are around education. And sometimes it's about money and winning. And that's, that's kind of, I mean, that's always been the push and pull. But is it realistic to put the, that genie back in the bottle? Well, I, what, what I think is going to happen is that you, we're going to see this pathway towards professionalism. No, yeah. no. And what's the, one of the consequences are we're going to cut all these other sports because... Which is terrible. Because what happens in colleges are basketball and football make money and everybody else right. loses money. And so our Olympic effort, 90% of our Olympic summer Olympic athletes come from colleges. So they're going to wipe that out. So we're going to now have a deficit on the Olympic side. And then all of a sudden, 10 years from now, <coughs> you, you and I are retired, Bob. They're going to say, <laughs> they're going to say, 
what is going on with our colleges and universities. We've turned them in. You've got betting casinos on campus. You've got, you know, you got all this money. Football and basketball look like the NBA. Guys are driving around Mercedes. And people are going to sit there and say, hey, aren't we in a global you know, battle and with China? And aren't we really worried about our universities? And what are we doing with all this craziness on our campus? And people are going to have a reevaluation of it all. It could be worse for college sports in the long run. Tom, I want to get into a final two questions, but before I do, I want just to address this issue, something that to me seems unworkable. You have the first team running back at Alabama or the shooting guard at Louisville. I'm talking about under a paid compensation system. They're going to make money. How about the second team, special teams kid at Rutgers? What about, uh, what about the FCS kid at James Madison? They're not on TV as much. They're still making money. What about the D3 kid who doesn't get on TV till the playoffs, but their school's making out because they could go all the way through the playoffs and be on school. In other words, who has thought about yeah, the who, range who, of salaries, quote-unquote, that the kids are going to, are, are going to make? The, the 12th player uh, at Indiana on the bench in basketball com- compared to you know, the shooting guard at, at UCLA. I mean – how in the world are you going to be able to compensate these folks with regard to a market mechanism? Well, what happened, the bill that uh, Senator Murphy, Senator Blumenthal put in with revenue sharing would give the players a claim on 50% of the revenue, just like the NBA. And that would mean today that every bas- male basketball player would make 350000 in total. That includes their scholarship. And, and the football players would get 250000 so obviously, if that happened, you'd have tremendous cuts of other programs. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Title IX. Title IX kicks in and says, wait a minute, if you're giving that basketball player male 350000 all of a sudden the women are going to demand equal. And you're going to have all this tension in the athletic department. The, the men athletes are going to say, why are the women getting half of what I do? Yeah. It, it just... By commercializing this further, which is a road we're heading on, you're, you're unleashing all kinds of demons in college sports. Well, you well put, um, which leads me to one of my two final questions. Mm-hmm. This is a bipartisan concern in Congress. You've discussed it. I've discussed it. This is a parenthetical issue, but it's very real. My school has... $20 billion, $25 billion endowment. I don't know what it is. You have a lot of really wealthy schools in this country with huge endowments. Not all of them, but at, at your level, D1 level, you have a lot of really wealthy schools. Yet, you see these wealthy schools cut track and field, cut wrestling, cut sailing, cut volleyball. Uh, sometimes, in the early days, Title IX was blamed. And, and I, reje- I reject the false choice here i reject that you have to hurt boys to help girls girl sports have exploded title nine's worked brilliantly it's been a great success we all celebrate that you shouldn't but we should also not cut minor boys or girl sports yet these really wealthy colleges continue to do it sometimes they blame title nine sometimes they blame they don't get into their endowment well the endowments are for the college and the kids that go there and you, 
and a lot of folks in Congress, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter, they're really upset about this. And there's a lot of bipartisan firepower potentially that could be unleashed on these schools to get into these endowments to benefit their kids. You know, well, the other thing you've talked about is taking football and basketball out of the equation. Well, well that's been a proposal for years. It's probably unworkable. And a lot of coaches would support that, I think, Tom. No, there's no we're, question. We're, but yeah, yeah. But and, and that, that, that's, a, that's a Title IX issue there. But I'm talking about the more general issue of really wealthy colleges cutting baseball teams. Give me a break. Well, Maryland, you know, cut seven programs, so they went through this. Here's the thing. You have $14 billion. I put a bill in back when I was in Congress that would have spread the money more evenly in college sports so you wouldn't have to cut these programs. Look, you have $14 billion in college sports. That's the revenue. The fact of the matter is there's plenty of money to expand opportunities if you don't, if you control the excesses. The excess is what's driving it. Here's what an AD tells me. You know what? I have to pay that coach $5 million because if I don't, my competitor down the street will. And you've had that going up. The agents have really played colleges off against each other. No controls, overall controls. And as a result, we see all these minor sports being cut. And that's very tragic for our country. And it doesn't have to be that way. There's enough right, right. money in the system, $14 billion. That's more than the NBA. NBA is only $8 billion, $10 billion. So if you can't find enough money to support more programs, then, you know, shame on college sports. And, Tom, I think it's a good thing for Congress to do, start putting pressure on, on, on this front. I mean, this is not a partisan issue. It's not a philosophical issue. It's a fair, they need fair to attack issue. the arms race. That's exact, that is the biggest problem that's really killing college sports is that you're going to end up having a coach making $25 million a few years from now. And, and, you know, when I was back in the nineties, I said, we're going to have a $10 million coach soon. Well, it took a few years, but it, we have to figure out a way. How are we going to stop that curve or curve that stop the spending curve? And if we don't, the athletes are just going to get more and more of the pie. And, you're going to end up in a real mess in, in, on your colleges and universities. So, We really appreciate your time today. We could keep you for hours. If, let me just, if we could just maybe put a bottom line, just call the bottom line our That's show. That's right. Put a bottom line <laughs> to this. If Tom McMillan was czar, <laughs> czar of college athletics and could do, and we have your, positions and this discussion and your books and you're really the most thoughtful guy I know in this area but if you could do one or two things short term to alleviate all this downward pressure we see the pressure toward paid compensation unionization of college athletics the cutting the sailing teams and the wrestling teams what one or two things in the short term would you want to do there's two things. I would take that $4 billion and I would create the incentives I want. If you want academics, put more incentives in academics. If you want to cut costs on facilities and, and, and coaches, you know, you incent or disincent the behavior you want, number one. And, and, that, and with the power of the purse, you know this from government, you can do so much with the power of the purse. So use the power of the purse. That's number one. Number two, you've got to come up with a new model for the student athlete. And, and particularly one that protects their health and safety 
one that gives them some kind of NIL rights. Uh, but you got to have a model, sort of a new model for college athletes. But it's not a model where they turn into employees. And last, you've got to emphasize why you're different. It's the collegiate model. It's not the amateur model. It's the collegiate model. So good all point. your values, great, great point. Yeah, that is a good point. The values need to be around what's right for college and teaching these kids lifelong skills and education. And everything needs to be circled around that, quite frankly. So those, those are three thoughts. Power the purse, uh, align your values, and create a new student-athlete model, which certainly you, you never want to see a Jordan McNair situation again. They, these kids need to have, you know, they need to have better protection. That's yeah, it. And we, we were involved with that as well. And, Tom, I will say my observation, having a, a college football player in the family now, being around – college athletics most of my adult life former player myself and now my youngest son being recruited as well i do see less cheating a less cheating environment i guess for lack of a better phrase with regard to academics and uh higher education that that the old days of payoffs and they're still cheating there's still scandals we all know that but it appears that a lot of coaches, a lot of programs have been scared straight on the education side. Is that fair? No question. And, you know, Bill Bradley and I, we put that bill into disclosed graduation rates back in the 90s. That bill. Was is, that a, is, that your, is that right? I did not know. Another principal. Oh, student right to know bill. That was our bill. That, and by the way, disclosing graduation rates put a lot of pressure on schools to get their acts together. So, yeah, a lot of progress has been made on the academic side. Tom, we can't thank you enough. We know you're crazy busy these days. Uh, you've been a great friend, personal friend to, to me and us over many decades. Uh, we admire your thoughtfulness. We admire your dedication to this really important issue, this important sector of our society. It's important. It's a cliche, but it's God's honest truth. When you look at the stands and you see people of all colors, religions, backgrounds, they're hugging, they're kissing, they're high-fiving sports is supposed to bring people together college sports most particularly is supposed to bring people together it can and should play a vital role in our society uh you see it now you see the pressures you see the pressures to undo that relationship between alums and schools it's unfortunate the healthier you can make the culture the better off we're going to be in the long run as a governor you understand the importance of your higher ed institutions Sport needs to be part of it, but it, it's got to be within that context. And that's that's the bottom line. It really is the bottom line. That is the bottom line. <laughs> that's what, I guess that's where we, we, we end. We didn't even rehearse that. <laughs> Tom, thanks. Thank you. Be and safe. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Earl Bottom Line, at Bob underscore Ehrlich, and at Kendall Ehrlich. Thanks, everybody. Godspeed.